Welcome back. Welcome back. We are here today to talk about a very special game because special has multiple meanings. We yeah. <laughs> are here today, uh, joined once again by Chris Taylor. Welcome. Hello. There we go. It's me. It's Chris. It's a me. It's me, Chris. We are here today to talk about Thousand Arms for the PS1. Yeah. We are talking about Thousand Arms, and I forget why. Because Rachel recommended it. Rachel recommended it. Okay. And, I had and no then, idea where this one came from. I know I didn't pick it. And then she didn't want to participate in the review because okay. I don't blame her. I don't want to participate in this review, if we're honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and jump into personal history. This is a little bit different one for me. I don't have any personal personal history with this game. I had heard of it, I'm sure. <clears throat> I had heard of it. Um, but I didn't pick it and I had never played it before. So this was this is a spoiler for my final <laughs> thoughts is that um whenever there are games that I don't like, <laughs> those are the ones that I get to play for the first time um on this podcast because there's probably a reason why I avoided them as a big JRPG fan. I also have no personal history for this. It was recommended by my friend Rachel. It was developed by Red and Atlas for the PlayStation in 1998. What's interesting is, because of this game, I now understand the character of Red from Hyperdimension Neptunia. Yeah, I was fixing to say. Yes, her entire yeah. personality is based mm -hmm. off this game. <clears throat> also, yeah. no personal history here. Um, I've, I've skipped over this game a couple of times back when it was affordable, and now it's like $200. So, yeah. put, you know, you have to put me in the camp of, we'll probably never play this one yeah. until I get like a PlayStation modded for ROMs or something. Spoiler, you, you should keep skipping it. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and move on to story and characters. I feel like we're reading the nightly news. It's like the 1920s, and we're reading the news whenever you do that. Yeah, it's funny. I've got a giant laptop right here, and yet I'm still dealing with like printed paper. copies of yeah. all my notes. Well, I like I like this sound for when I read the story. I don't, I don't know why, but... When a young noble loses his land to an enemy attack, he wanders the world with nothing to his name. Finally, he becomes an apprentice spirit blacksmith, learning his family's ancient art of imbuing spiritual energy into swords so that he can date all the ladies. Yeah. yeah. The game is roughly 26 hours long, which is about 13 That's hours. That's long for a dating sim. Yeah. Really well, you can invest a lot more mm -hmm. in it, uh, depending on how long you want to spend on the dating sim element. Yeah. Yes, this game is half JRPG, half dating sim. The beginning of that synopsis made me think like, did you play something else? <laughs> and I played this, and now I'm mad. <laughs> no. No, we definitely played this game. Uh, Rust, would you like to tell us about some of the characters we encountered in Thousand Arms? I mean, 
<clears throat> so my general takeaway, the character, the characters are the things that I didn't like about anime in the 90s. Whenever you had a protagonist who was just like a horny teenage boy, and then everybody around him were girls that just, for some reason, some unidentifiable reason, uh, just like really want to date him and maybe do other things with him of a more adult nature, and I never could figure out why. Because that is the cast. The cast is this 16-year-old boy, and then his one male friend, uh, who's also insufferable. Well, you and also then, get his... He gets a second male friend at some point. Yeah. But it's mostly the ladies. It's the ladies <laughs> that are just all into him. Yeah, your main character is a blacksmith who happens to also be really good at wielding a sword, which is why he could be your main character. Yeah. His best friend, I can't remember his name, but he's a knight who's... Musa. Yeah, an incredible knight who's yeah. very shy about talking to women. You also encounter a, basically a samurai who joins you as well. Yeah. And then it's just the women. Yeah. Uh, the the girl next door type. Who's the only... Sodina. She's the... I mean, if you ask me, she's the only good one. I don't know. Because I like, she's like a normal person. The tomboy pirate girl's not bad. See, I, it's they're the, the girl whose clothes are inhabited by the spirits. Right. That one's a little weird because <laughs> yeah. every time she changes clothes, she changes personality. Yeah, that. that I mean, it's an interesting gimmick, but it's just the the girls are the da like the dairy tropes, sort of. Yeah, rather than being actual well-rounded characters, except kind of for Sodina. I have this written down in innovations, but there's no reason not to say it here. This is the most 90s anime thing it's I have the most 90s anime ever thing. encountered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I don't watch anime now. I certainly didn't watch anime then. This is a game that they wanted you to feel like you were playing an anime. And it did. And it did. For, for good and bad and very little good. So extremely <laughs> 90s anime. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically the story. Uh, you're learning to be a blacksmith, and it turns out there's an enemy spirit blacksmith and somebody's trying to rule the world, so you have to stop them. Mm -hmm. It reminded me kind of like Agorist War, which I don't, which I think you played. I played the one first of, one, yeah. Where it's like your powers are based on your ability to be charming to women, yeah, and date them because your offspring is right. The exactly. stats of you and the woman yeah. you choose, and then your offspring does the next chapter. And I know this podcast isn't about Agrest War, but like for anybody that oh, played we'll get it, there eventually. Well, we will get there eventually. But the thing I hated about that game, truly, of, among many things, is that the women is like every generation you had three women that you could marry, and even the ones that you didn't marry just all died anyway. Pretty much. Like I anyway. So let's go ahead and move at least on. None to of these women die. Something that is actually unique. Mm -hmm. The combat system. It is unique, yeah. I actually really like the look of the combat system. I, I like the I'll look of it that. a lot. It, the care, it looks like a, a Japanese fighting game. Yeah. In, in terms of just the character styles, the character animations, it's very different. It very much looks hand-drawn as opposed to polygons, as opposed to sprites. Um, well, because it, again, goes back to, it's like you're playing an anime. Yeah. So they want it to look like hand-drawn But the characters, characters are 
permanently animated. Like yeah. they, they have resting animation. They move. It's... To me, it suffers from the like early PS1 era thing where it's like, now we have these games on discs and there's like all these crazy animations and all these crazy explosions and we can make an attack be like 30 seconds long and let's not think about the implications of having to sit through 30 seconds of watching an attack play out every time you attack the enemy let's just do it i didn't say i liked the combat i said i liked the look (laughs) of the combat well i don't like the look of the combat because it causes you need to wait for the next section which is the looks of the combat (laughs) so battles are kind of one-on-one you directly control you have three you can have three party members in combat the one in the lead is the only one that can attack and he can only attack unless he's got a skill that lets him attack a group he can only attack the enemy in the lead of the enemy's line your two support characters can cast support spells and everything your lead guy is on a timer. Your support people are on a separate timer. Different actions take different times. And when an action is ready, you'll see it at the top of the screen. Hey, press triangle to you know, execute this action. Hit X to execute this other action instead. There is some strategy there. The problem is it's the same strategy mm-hmm. for the so entire like, game. It's basically two bottles fighting each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but every in-boss fight is done exactly the same way. You set your main guy up to attack. And whenever his attacks come up, you execute them. Or his summons, because the summons are real strong. Mm-hmm. So you knock out the summons. Meanwhile, you have the support heal. And you just let them sit there until you need the heal. Then you hit the button to mm-hmm. activate what's been sitting there for two minutes. And then when their turn comes around, you say, all right, queue up another heal and just sit there and wait until I need it. That's every boss fight. That's all of them. Yeah. It is a unique system. It is different, but it wears out its welcome faster than the game runs out they spent so much time thinking about whether they could they did not think (laughs) about whether they should my in fact this sums up my feeling about the game overall is it it wears out its welcome yeah all of the mechanics are just like oh that's kind of neat oh that's different oh i'm kind of digging this all right now i'm tired of it Mm -hmm. and i'm only halfway through this game yeah. One thing you can do is you can cycle through the, the party members, right? You can have yes. one guy step out and the party member... The problem is it doesn't actually rotate. When a guy steps out of combat for somebody to come up and take his place, he's gone. So you can cycle out party members twice before you're on your last party member. Yeah. And you can't get back to the one... So there's almost never any point in cycling them yeah. out. There were two, there are too many party members for the fact that you're really only using one. Yes. In yes. Combat there's at any like given six, time. six party there's members, seven. I believe. Seven. There are seven. Seven party members. You only really use one, and whoever's in the support role, it, they just have to have healing. That's so, all the support yeah. roles really. They'd be do. like Final Fantasy X if all the characters are on the screen, but you could only use Oron. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Now, the support party members actually do stuff. Like, if you don't have them just sitting waiting to execute an action, mm-hmm. if you're actually just using them regularly, they will occasionally, on their own, uh, debuff an enemy or buff your fighter by, you know, just, yeah, go get them. Mm-hmm. Your attack rose. Hey, check out my ass. Their defense fell. Like, <laughs> and that is, like, literal. Yeah, no, I just, I called out is. literal things that actually happened. <laughs> There's not really much t- point in using magic in the game except the healing. Except the healing, yeah. Yeah, there's just, there's no, apart from summons, there's no point to using any, 
magic apart from healing because you just want to do a straight attack yeah. that does more damage. Yeah. My fighter friend, Musei, or whatever the hell his name was. Musa, yeah. He did have one special attack that would attack the entire group of enemies. That was actually pretty great. Mm-hmm. Because anytime I didn't feel like fighting three enemies, cast that spell once, and you can use it like three times before it needs to be recharged eventually. And uh, combat's over. Yeah. Which is good, because combat takes a long time. Yeah, combat is way too long. It, this, it looks nice. They tried something new. It didn't work. That, that's my summary of combat. Yeah. Did you have anything else? I didn't. This game really, this is a deep cut. This game really reminded me of a PS3 game called Time and Eternity that I think was inspired specifically by this game because the whole point of the game was it's supposed to be like you're playing an anime because all of the characters were hand-drawn and you run around these really stale 3D environments and then you fight like one enemy at a time and you have one girl that you fight with. And it's just, it's super boring. And the only thing it had going for it is it's supposed to be like, I'm playing an anime. And I think this was the 1998 version of that. <laughs> this this feels more like a game that maybe escaped Japan escaped? than one that they intentionally yeah, probably. wanted to bring to us. This game wasn't released, it escaped. <laughs> All right, well, we'll go ahead and move on to innovations. Actually, there are some things I like about this game. That when it would transition from the PS1 polygon characters to the anime characters for cutscenes, mm-hmm. I thought the transition was interesting because, like, the camera is kind of isometric when you're playing. Yeah. But then when it cuts into an anime scene, the camera kind of swirls around and comes down closer. And the effect really is that, yeah, from a distance, they look like polygons. But when you get up close to them, they're totally hand drawn anime characters. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually kind of neat. I actually, the anime parts actually look decent. Yeah. I mean, it's very clearly 90s anime. If you don't like that look, you're not going to like it. Um, the FMV scenes actually look pretty good. Mm-hmm. There are a handful of those. The voice acting is not terrible. It's not terrible, and I'm just surprised by the amount of it yes. for a game from 1998. I expect 90s voice acting in a PlayStation game to be bad. Yeah. I will say, because you like adventure games, you revealed that a couple of episodes ago. I didn't know yeah, if anybody a... knew that about you. But <laughs> oh, I love the, adventure games. The two Discworld games that came out on PlayStation, yes. phenomenal voice acting. Oh, yeah. They had Eric Idle in them. I mean, That's true. That, that would be an exception. But I'm surprised <laughs> if voice acting isn't bad. And I was surprised yeah. by, those, by the Discworld games, which I really enjoy. Uh, instead of this game. We didn't play that, though. <laughs> no, no. Back to the first mistake. Game. Sorry, for just a moment, I went on a vacation in my head. <laughs> there is hidden MP throughout the game. Yeah. It's a hidden... And normally, I like it when games have hidden objects like, oh, check that vase. Maybe you get a potion. I, I, I like that in games generally, but in this one, it's completely random. Any object you see on the screen could be hiding this MP, which is a resource you use to forge swords. Mm-hmm. And not only could any object have it, but you have to approach that object from a very specific angle to get it. And the maneuvering controls in this game are the worst. Yeah, The camera bobs and weaves like a drunken sailor, and often just trying to line yourself up to talk to an NPC can yeah, take three or four tries that is true. just to talk to somebody 
And I hate searching for hidden items anyway. Well, in this one, there's no rhyme or reason to it. So yeah. really, you're walking around every room you encounter just hitting X like a wild man because it's a lot of MP you can get that way. Yeah. And you need that MP to forge your weapons. All right, so mechanics-wise, as you level up in the game, your charisma levels up. And in this game, your charisma actually means something. You can go on dates with girls, either the girls in your party, or each town has town right. girls. Because it wasn't enough. Yeah. That you town girls. <laughs> the town the girls townies. are kind yeah. of a hidden option. Right. But hidden you... girls. <laughs> As you date the townies or your party members, your intimacy level with them goes up. But your intimacy level can never exceed your charisma. So you have to level yourself up, and then you have to go on... Dates, which are come in a variety. Uh, some of, You can go on a date. Dating a girl can go three ways. I see that it's really painful even talking about it this is. for you. So there's three different ways to date a girl. Each Just girl, like real life. Pay attention, everyone. <laughs> Take here's, notes. Here's yeah. the three ways you can date a girl, listeners at home. Every girl in the world has a specific minigame that you play. <laughs> you just go up to them and say, can I play your minigame? <laughs> And you will play the minigame unique to them. The minigames take a long time and don't really score you that much affection. They really don't. It breaks up the monotony of the game, I suppose. Honestly, allegorically, this is already working better than most like dating advice. (laughs) At the very least, girls have unique games in in this. You go up to them, you say, I'd like to play your minigame. You can also just give them gifts. And they have preferences. Each Mm -hmm. girl has like... I love this gift. It's almost like Harvest Moon. I love these gifts, or Stardew Valley. I like these gifts. I hate these Mm -hmm. gifts. So if you learn those, you can really raise affection pretty easily using gifts. That's the main way I did it. Because the third one is going on dates. And the dates are bizarre. (laughs) I was playing on an emulator. If I hadn't been able to use save, restore state, save scumming, I never would have had a successful date. That's true in real life, too. (laughs) I've never had a successful date where I didn't use save scumming. So, Chris, you didn't play this game. No. I would like you to picture this. I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to take you on a journey. You ask out the girl of your dreams. You say, hey, would you like to spend some time together this evening? She says, well, of course. So the two of you walk along the dock because you know she likes the sound of the ocean. This is a place that she likes. And you go out there. And you just look into each other's eyes. And then she turns to you and says, Would you ever eat a bat? (laughs) The questions (laughs) that get asked in these dates are so weird and random. And I feel like I didn't have to close my eyes for that, but I did. (laughs) I appreciate you going along with it. Sometimes it'll be questions like, Why do you like women so much? Because they're hot. Because I want to have sex. Like, those are your two options. One is a good option. One is a bad option. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. If it wasn't... It is so hard to pick some of those. And some of them don't have a good answer and a bad answer. Some of them have a bad answer and a slightly less bad answer. A bad answer and a worse answer. A bad answer will just end the date. You don't even get to finish the date and get the affection. Wow. But not all questions have bad answers. Some of them have good and eh. It's it's almost like the negotiation tactic in Persona 1. Yes. It is you cannot guess what the correct answers are. It's because like bad anime of this type, they so, needed the character to be a pervert. 
So that that negotiation as uh, thing in um in Persona is not the only thing that's impenetrable. <laughs> <laughs> these women. <laughs> I actually wrote I wrote some of these down here. It was I got a question that was what's your best feature? My choices were I'm not sure or how all the ladies want me. Yeah. And it turns out with this woman, I'm not sure was the worst answer because you weren't... You don't want to be wishy-washy Yeah, you were indecisive. Especially when one of your features is that all the women want you. Well, so he thinks. But they really do, which is the... So the worst part about this game. That's that's the the conflict of the 90s anime. Yes. But all this dating has a point. All of these datings have a point. You're a spirit blacksmith, which means you forge women's love into weapons. Oh. So... As women hit different affection levels, each woman has different spells or abilities that become available at each level. So, say hypothetically, uh, if I get this girl to like me level two's worth of affection, that's when she will teach a healing spell to anybody whose weapon I forge with her. Then I get her up to level three, and she'll teach me a fire spell to any weapon I, any party's weapon that I forge with her but then she can no longer teach the healing spell. So if you really want to like get all the spells, which as we've, as we've said is mm-hmm. kind of useless, yeah, you will spend forever in this game. You're slowly taking each girl up one step at a time and then spending MP to forge all the party's weapons so everybody has access to every spell and every ability that they can pretty much for nothing. Nobody uh, ever needs to do that. Wait. Sounds like a real like Groundhog Day of a game, mm-hmm. <laughs> in that sense. Well, there's also pretty some, something kind of scummy about the dating aspect because mm. often you're dating these women to raise their affection levels, and you very clearly are saying, you know, I care about you. You're the one for me. Like I want to be closer to you. Great. Now I've got that spell from you. Hey, other lady, come over here. <laughs> I care about you. I want to be close to you. Oh, I already have that ability. Listen, I mean, is that you, third woman, come over here. <laughs> I care about Doing it you. wrong for 37 years. There's also ultimate weapons in this game, which I did not get at all. <laughs> because in order to get the ultimate weapons, did you encounter any ultimate weapons, Russ? I can guarantee that I did not make it far enough in this game <laughs> to even have the possibility of encountering any You find weapons. ruined weapons, like rusted swords or whatever. Then you have to backtrack through dungeons you've already completed to get to the the spirit smithies which are big story points when you hit great them. band yeah the spirit smithies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you place the sword there and you go run around your adventures because a certain amount of game time has to pass before you go back through that dungeon again to get the ultimate weapon and the ultimate weapons because i did what a thing that i'm doing now regularly is going on the jrpg subreddit and going mm-hmm. i've never played this game before advice <laughs> apparently the ultimate weapons are barely better than the weapons yeah. you'll just get by playing the game so it's really just there for completionists was this game created as like an elaborate trap to keep like japanese lonely nerds in their apartments and like off the streets i feel like somebody wanted to make the jrpg version of leisure suit larry mm, okay. <laughs> but didn't catch on to what makes leisure suit larry actually entertaining okay the interesting thing is that there actually is like a long line of like slightly erotic j uh, rpgs that never left japan because why would they uh so like this is actually kind of fitting in with like a genre of games i'm already almost kind of aware of so I'm like, that's why I feel like, again, that this game escaped more than it right. was actually presented to us. But I will say, I, I, 
I like, uh, oh God, especially the main bad guy's voice acting is so good. <laughs> yeah. He's got that, just that deep menacing, well, we'll see about that. I can't even go deep enough to well, do it we'll justice. we'll see about that. It's so yeah. good. Uh, and a lot of the enemies, the, the main villains, have really expressive personalities. Mm-hmm. They're actually fun. It's a shame none of your party members have that kind of personality. (laughs) Right. I thought about Grandia a little bit while I played this. Like, Grandia is the good version of of kind of what this is trying to do. We've made Chris sit here through all of this. (laughs) I've enjoyed it. Maybe we should get some use out of him. (gasps) Dance, monkey, dance. (laughs) Talk to us about music. Well, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different music uh, overview because we kind of discussed this a little beforehand, and I think Jeff feels like this soundtrack's a little bit like generic. I, yeah, I'll say the two bits of that I've got here. First of all, I find that it worked. It was a very, for me, it was a very generic JRPG soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Right? It hit the notes it was supposed to hit. It was very utilitarian. Yeah, uh, I did my little tiny amount of research that I generally do, which is to try and look up composers and what other games they worked on. Yes, and there's no composers listed for this game. <laughs> it's just credited as Atlas Sound well, Team. Here's the here's the twist: the game composed itself. <gasps> Ooh, the composing is coming from within the game. That's it's just a very elaborate AI. Okay, so for one, I agree. Um, I think that this is a very this is an RPG. Like it's like every song that you hear, you're like, I know exactly what scene this goes to. I don't even need to play the game. Yeah, and I'm not even saying that it's bad. No, it's not bad. I'm just saying yeah. there's nothing to me that really stood out except maybe the first and the last track. I think yeah, I um well yeah, and we'll get to those in a second. I actually there are a couple of tracks that were highlights for me. Um I don't know what Mount Hand is, but the song cuz I it's, only It's went, a gigantic train with oh, a city inside of great. it. Great. Ex- exactly. So it says, uh, Mount Hand, the train runs everywhere, is a funky theme uh, for the train, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, there's also one that says, Mount Hand, capture, capture. Don't know what that Probably is Probably when the enemies capture Mount Hand. Okay, there we go. Uh, it's That's a really nice bass-driven, like kind of funky song. And there's also Kiss Gigi theme, the love meister of legend, <laughs> is another... Like, these are... Like, the, the-, the overall soundtrack, I feel, is um, on the jaunty side of like RPGs, and you saw this a lot in the '90s. It's like uh, Robotrex, a great example of this. Oh gosh! Except Robotrex actually a good game, but we we did didn't you pan it? we didn't have you here when we reviewed Robotrex. <laughs> okay, well <laughs> we disagree. That's fine, but still the the point is that Robotrex. It's like as opposed to a Final Fantasy or something. It's like. It's it's jauntier and bouncier. Robotrek definitely had a whimsicality to it. A whimsy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt that in the Thousand Arms. So it's like, of course, when you have a track like that, the the standout tracks are not going to be like some metal-tastic like boss theme. It's more going to be like just these little funky, dancey themes that they throw in throughout. Uh, Fugoja, The Golden City is another great song I really liked. And uh, Bourbon Blues, which is just a piano solo played, in, I think, in a bar. Uh that one, a sake bar, I believe, is what they said. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one impressed me a lot. So those are the good points of the soundtrack. Uh, like I said, the rest is, it sounds, again, utilitarian. Great reason for and that. And the reason for that actually ties into the reason you couldn't find any composer credits. 
is because this game, although it says uh, published by Atlas and, you know, uh, the composer is quote-unquote Atlas Sound Team, uh, what that commonly means is that this game was actually shadow-developed. And it was shadow-developed by one of the most famous shadow developers out there, Tose, spelled T-O-S-E. If you look at their uh, track list on, at their game list on Wikipedia, you'd be like, holy crap, this is a ton of, like, actual, like, awesome games. Like, there's Nintendo here, there's Final Fantasy, there's Dragon Quest. Like, are you saying Tose made these games? Here's the thing. We don't know. <laughs> Tose is mysterious, and almost every, in every instance, anonymous. So, usually the only evidence you'll see of Tose in a game's credits, it'll just have him in the special thanks or something. Special thanks to Tose. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons, if you go listen to a song by KK, you'll see special thanks, Tose. Okay. It's because Tose is this, just this developer for hire that these big names, I, I like to picture it as just like 40 guys with cigarettes like in a room full of typewriters <laughs> somehow making a game on typewriters. <laughs> They're just <laughs> sitting there pounding out code. None of them have faces. They're just doing their job day in, day out. For Wait, how are they smoking the cigarettes with no faces? Well, they, they, got, they got holes for the cigarettes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just mean no discernible. I, no, Actually, I that, that may sound a little racist. Never mind. They, uh, <laughs> but they are anonymous. Like, metaphorically, they have no faces. They are uh, credited, we think, with kind of shadow developing this game. And so not, uh, the composers would have also been because there is no composer listed for this game, except for the opening and ending song, which we're, we're about to get to, there are no composer credits because it's very likely that the composers were just Tose staff composers who probably just had these songs laying around <laughs> and were just like, all right, well, we're making this RPG. Here are these songs. These work. Let's do it. And uh, that's probably why it doesn't like really you know, stand out as a, as a special soundtrack. So, okay. Now, two, sound, uh, two standout tracks that a lot of people point out is that there's a vocal theme opening the game, and there's a vocal theme as the ending theme of the game. Both of them are sung by a Japanese pop star named Ayumi Hamasaki. They were also credited as being composed, uh, Depend on You is the opening theme. It was composed by Kazuhito Kikuchi, and the ending is called Two of Us, and it's by Daiseki, uh, sorry, Daisuke Miyazi. If you look up either of those names, which... And good luck with my bad pronunciation. You will not see any other game credits associated with those names. Good reason for that. They're not video game composers. Those songs aren't video game songs. Ayumi Hamasaki is not a video game person. Although she has sung a lot of video game songs, she's just a pop star. She actually released Depend On You as a single in 1998, around the time this game was being developed. And the B-side to it is called Two Of Us, which is the ending theme to this game. So this, the opening theme is a single by this artist, and the B-side of that single is the ending theme. So these are just completely unrelated songs that are just in this game. <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. That sounds correct. So it's, uh, yeah, it is kind of a generic uh, JRPG soundtrack with some pretty good songs and bookended by two basically Jessica Simpson songs. Yeah. Uh, you I know. hope they paid Ayumi. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and and she she has a few video game credits because they use her songs okay. in in other video games. And I think she's actually made real like video game specific songs, but not in this case. In okay. this case, they just use songs she already kind of had kicking around yeah. the charts. Actually, both uh, the song did 
chart top 10 in Japan at the time. So it was a very popular song to use. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and move on to our final thoughts. I mean, I gave you the spoiler for my final thoughts at the beginning of this uh, review, and my final thought is that this game is everything that was bad about anime in the 90s, Um, everything that was misogynistic and um, just not funny. They tried to go for juvenile humor, and it just did not land with me, and I really do give this game an F. I just didn't enjoy this in any way, shape, or form. Um, There's nothing redeemable about this game for me. So I'm sorry to all of our listeners who love Thousand Arms and were just really looking forward to this review. But this was not for me in the least. So about five, ten hours into this game, I was giving it a B-. By the time I finished it... My jaw is on the floor. By the time I finished it... It was CC plus. I think it's cute. Persona got a D. (laughs) Because it's a first-person dungeon crawler. Okay. Okay. That that, that hurt Persona a lot. Okay. Because that's my personal... The game is cute. And it does a lot of... Is it? It does a lot of different things. I'm just going to keep interrupting you during your final (laughs) thoughts. It does a lot of things differently than most JRPGs. The problem is... Most of those interesting mechanics and ideas wear thin fairly quickly. If the game was half as long, it would be twice as good. But there's also a lot in here for completionists, like people who really want to get in and conquer every aspect of a game. Dude, you could go nuts in here with all the dating and getting all the skills and the ultimate weapons. And I almost, if I could just watch this as like an episode of an anime. And again, I don't even watch that much anime, but like I would be okay with this. They probably should have just made an anime about this. Yeah. I didn't hate it as much as you did. It just got So did you land boring. on a C? I'm, I'm going to call it a C plus. Mercy. I'm, I'm trying to be okay. nice to it. I'm writing down in my diary, <laughs> Persona 1D, Thousand Arms, C plus. The, the greatest sin this game committed was that it ended up getting boring. Okay as opposed to actively aggravating me by making me play a first-person dungeon crawler. So, Russ, if they want to play Thousand Arms, where can they play it? I mean, I guess you can get it off of Amazon for $200. $400 on some listings. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Um, Best girl? I liked the tomboy pirate lady. Okay. Do you remember her name? I don't remember anybody's name in this game. Wasn't her name Winona or something? Something similar. Wina. I just had it pulled up, too. I think it was Wina. Was it Wina? I'm better with names. I liked Sodina just because she was the only one That's the girl next door. The girl next girl next door, and I thought she had personality, and I also didn't make it very far in this game. So she's the only one I ever really interacted with. (laughs) Uh, so, since you're admitting that, I will admit I didn't... This is one of the very few games I did not beat. Yeah. Because the emulator I was playing it on wouldn't load the second disc. It turns out I had to set up, like, disc configuration before I ever started. Mm, okay. And there was just no way to play the second disc. Luckily, the second disc is just the final dungeon and boss. 
So I was able to go online and watch the rest of the game. I guess the reason the second game is just Final Dungeon and Boss is because you also have the ability to go back through the world and, you know, do all the dating stuff and mm -hmm. the hidden weapons. But the only required part of the second disc is Final Dungeon and Boss. Next time, we're playing something I haven't played before. I don't know if you've played it before. I don't think so. I'm scared because... Because you, you never remember what we're playing we next play anymore? That and because we just played Thousand Arms. I played like two hours. We are hours. returning to a series that we have both enjoyed, but it's a new phase in the series, a romantic phase, because we're playing Romancing Saga 1. Oh, fun. So we will see you guys there. Oh, wait, no, because we do plugs. That's a thing <gasps> that we do. We do plugs, apparently, like, but not hair plugs for men, even though give me like two years and I'll need to do that anyway. This is fun for me because I'm making it a point never to plug the same thing twice. So I'm not going to plug my books again. The books by Jeff Hillary on any online bookstore. But I my am, mom's really proud of you for writing them. I am gonna I am gonna recommend a series of books. Uh, over the past year, I have fallen in love with a book. It's either called the Rivers of London series or the Peter Grant series. It's, it seems to go by either one. The first book in the series is Rivers of London. Although in America, the first book is called Midnight Riot. Okay. The author is Ben Aronovich. I start Googling all of that stuff and you'll find it eventually. It is, it's set in modern times in London. Uh, the main character is a police officer who finds out magic is real. Okay. And he ends up working for a portion of the Metropolitan Police Department that deals with magic, which consists of one guy who's been around since World War II. Okay. Because they thought magic was kind of dying out. Turns out it wasn't. It's a lot of fun. The main character has a really fun sense of humor. He keeps referring to the magic school that his mentor grew up in uh, before World War II as Hogwarts, despite <laughs> how many times he's told to stop. Uh, they come across this horrific abandoned club where uh, a guy was performing experiments uh, on people. Like He created literal cat girls by sewing peeps pieces of cats and people together that's horrifying it is no he's a villain it's a yeah. horrific but the main character insists on referring to that incident as the strip club of dr moreau throughout the entire okay. series it's it's a fun series it's an interesting series i like it uh i, I like that the character is like enthusiastic there's magic well yeah i'm gonna learn magic i'm gonna yeah let's do this but he's got a nerdy sense of humor and one of the other main things that i really love about it is it makes the city of London basically another character in the story. It mm -hmm. goes into a lot of detail about different aspects of the city's history as it ties into the, the plot that's happening. So it's just, I, I really enjoy them. Uh, there's also a spinoff comic book series, which are canon with the books. There's novellas, which are canon with the books. Ben Aronovich, Rivers of London. Go check it out. Fun. What have you got, Russ? Um, again, just off the top of my head... I am playing a game on the Switch called Eastward. Uh, it is a new indie game. There are a lot of video games that people say, if you love Earthbound, God, you will are. love this. Oh. Um, and this is the only one I've ever played that I think actually deserves that. <laughs> um, it is Earthbound meets The Legend of Zelda because uh, the combat is Zelda-like. It's in a post-apocalyptic world. You play a silent man named john who has adopted a little girl named sam and you have to go eastward 
and with a frying pan as a weapon. Well, of course. And uh, it is it is very funny and it is very charming and it actually it yes, like I said, it is the only game that I've ever heard be described as if you like Earthbound, you will like this. Oh. And I think it's actually true. I may have to check that in out. In this game, it is uh, it is charming and it is fun it is actually fun to play and it is funny. And there's a second game you can play within the game called Earthborn. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Which is which is quite good. So um, it is on Switch and it is on PC and it might be on PS4 too. But I'm playing it on Switch and it's lovely. Great. Yeah. What have you got, Chris? Oh, I'm just gonna go ahead and plug myself again, I suppose. Go right ahead. Um, you know what? You can plug yourself again, but then I'm gonna require you to plug something else as well. Oh. Oh, no. My, uh, my Twitch, which you can find me five nights a week, is Liar Exaggerate, L-I-E-R-X-A-G-E-R-A-T-E. And uh, that, that's at twitch.tv slash. Anyway, but not in that order. <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you've got to figure it out. He's given you a puzzle. Yeah. The solution is to watch him play games. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I play some games, retro mostly, sometimes newer. And uh, well, that's it. Now you got to pick another piece of media. I, I've already figured it out. I am going to plug an indie game that came out uh, a year and a half ago, maybe two years. And um, I, I really feel like a lot of people like kind of slept on this one, but it's so cheap and it's so good that you really ought to check it out. It's called Reventure. I actually, Chris introduced me to this at his house. Yeah. And I've made Russ play it. Mm-hmm. I've made it. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. So Reventure is like, you know, not even 8 bit. I would call it like 4 bit. Uh, but it's like, it's this very pixely type of adventure game where you wake up out of bed and then you walk out of your house and then you fall on a rock and die. And then it rolls the ending credits. And then you wake up out of your bed again. And now you can do something else. Uh, basically, it's a game with 100 endings. And almost anything that you can do in the game will produce an actual ending. And so uh, it, there's all kinds of ways. Like It's less about getting to the end of the game and more about trying to just collect all the ends of the game. And yeah, it's just it's super funny. It's like it's ridiculous. And it it plays just good enough that like, you know, like the way that it's basically puzzle solving because like if you hold like a sword then your jumps aren't as good like the more items you hold the less you can jump for instance and you have to be able to jump to get to certain parts of the game but so what it's happens like, if you pick up say five items <laughs> then you probably <laughs> I, that will probably produce an ending yes <laughs> but uh but yeah it's all about collecting endings and uh and playing the same adventure over and over again until you until you get them all pretty much because i mean there's a goal of rescuing a princess but there's several endings that have to do with that um and so yeah i really recommend checking it out because it does not look like the kind of game you want to play until you actually play it (laughs) i firmly second his endorsement yeah yeah that's good Mm it's very good so there you go play reventure all right so we will see you guys next time uh hopefully chris will be with us we'll see if yeah. we, he can squeeze us into his schedule. <laughs> maybe Russ will be here. Maybe I'll find another sidekick. No, we will be here. Yeah. Somebody will be here. Somebody will be here. Somebody will be here. <laughs> we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. 
Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on YouTube at youtube.com slash centaurproductions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. You can find Chris on Twitch at twitch.tv slash liarexaggerate or on Twitter at enrichflavor. Thank you for listening and remember to save your game before powering off this podcast.